Coach Nikki Lee. Now, you heard my regular intro with Keith, 
And then you heard a song called Be Your Own Superhero by Michelle Chappell. And that's because that's who we're going to talk to you today. Michelle, have you with me today? Oh, I'm so pleased to be here talking to you. Thanks for asking me to be part of your show. Now, you know, we are going to talk about, now this is Valentine's Day, and so we're doing this. We're going to show them and tell them how to find their own superpowers. You know, I, I feel like I'm in, in an episode of Big Bang Theory for some reason. <laughs> 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 That's interesting. <laughs> I love your picture with the you know the superhero costume on, and for some reason I just I, I'm getting like you know flashes of like uh, of, of all of them at the at the the comic book store, you know, Sheldon and all of them. But that that's okay. That's okay. I like Big Bang Theory. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, you know, they that 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 demographic really loves superheroes. It turns out a lot of people like superheroes, especially kids. Um, I don't know if you've noticed that, but kids are always dressed yeah. up in superhero costumes. And and the young at heart. That's good. And the young at heart. Yes, 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 absolutely. Well, I, I have a few superhero costumes I like to wear, so I get it. <laughs> <laughs> now, let me let me t- tell you all something about Michelle. She is, now, now that we've got y'all thinking, what in the world are they going to do? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Michelle is an internationally acclaimed singer-songwriter, I bet y'all didn't hear that coming, keynote speaker, business consultant, and coach. She has a PhD in psychology from Princeton and was voted most inspirational professor at the University of California, Santa Cruz, where she taught cognition and creativity. Despite being called crazy, and haven't we all, by a few (laughs) colleagues, she ditched academics follow her dream to be a rock star. Since then, her songs have topped European, South African, and U.S. college radio charts and appeared on ABC, HBO, Encore, and Showtime. She's also won 17 Billboard International Songwriting Awards. For 20 years, Michelle has used psychology and music to help thousands of people ages 8 to 84 discover their unique creative gifts and use their superpowers to excel in work, school, and life. She leads these workshops and has given talks to businesses, women's organizations, universities, schools, and the New Salt churches around the country. Concurrently with her music and speaking careers, Michelle rose in the ranks of the corporate world. From usability engineer to VP of Consumer Insights, as CEO of Creativity Rocks Star Consulting, she now consults with clients such as Google, eBay, Yahoo, and TiVo conducting user experience research and leading innovative workshops. Her website, www.lchapel.com, was chosen as one of the 15 brilliant websites that will inspire and change your life by lifehack.org. That was a mouthful. It was. (laughs) Congratulations for getting through that. (laughs) Anything that encourages creativity. I love things that help us dig deeper into ourselves and learn more about us. Quite a few musicians I know personally that listen to the show. So we're we're hitting on all cylinders with this. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) (laughs) There was just an indie music show that aired just before me by a friend of mine. So this this is interesting. We're going to continue some of the music theme. And we're right. also going to dig into coaching and consulting and, and, 
you know, empowering. So it's um, going to be an interesting hour. going to be an yeah. interesting hour. So now you started out in psychology. So that's which just fascinates me to no end. Mm-hmm. So you you got your PhD from Princeton in psychology. So people were probably like, okay, she's on track. This is good. This is good. How how did you get out of that and decide to go into music? And what did your family say? Oh boy. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, um, you know, I was studying uh, cognitive psychology at Princeton. I was uh, working towards my uh, PhD, so I was working on my dissertation there. And uh, I, it was it was very hard. Uh, Princeton's very very hard. You know, uh, you, I was always a really good student, and uh, when I got to Princeton, uh, all the people in the program were always. You know, they were also the best students in their in their school. So the, here I was among the very best. So it was very competitive. Although we got along great and really helped each other. So I was really focused on on psychology, right? On just doing well there, getting my PhD and getting out. But um, a couple of things happened while I was there. So um, I guess I can tell you one, a couple of stories, just so you can sort of see how this happened. I um, uh, for one of the things I did as a teaching assistant is I would set up a, a classroom uh, ahead of time for a professor. You know, like if there was an amphitheater, you just want to make sure that the mic works and uh, the slides work and all of that. And I set up an amphitheater classroom uh, at night once for one of the professors there. And I was kind of checking the microphone and I just heard myself start singing into it, which was interesting. Um, and I sounded awesome. I'll just be honest with you. I couldn't believe how great my voice sounded because I'd never heard myself amplified before, you know. And I wasn't, think, I wasn't thinking about music while I was at Princeton. I was thinking about psychology, but I found myself doing that, which was interesting. It was just kind of like, what? Uh, but then I forgot all about it because I had a lot of work to do, papers to grade and study, you know, I had to study for my, my classes. So, um, so, but I, it kind of was in the back of my mind. What what was that, you know? And then later, um, someone gave a, a talk about music perception at Princeton. And as part of that talk, she gave us a test. And she played these pairs of tunes, melodies. And we just had to say whether they were the same or they were different. And I remember thinking to myself, this is the easiest thing I've ever done in my life. You know, it was like somebody playing two, like, ah. Uh, is that the same note or uh, uh, is that the same note? You know, it sounded that easy to me. And I just thought, why is Princeton having a talk about this? It seemed kind of strange. But then afterwards, they had us tally up our scores and I had outperformed everybody in that workshop or that classroom. Um, and that included uh, professors and one um, dean who had studied classical violin for 20 years. And they all looked at me. Like, what is up with that, you know? And then I forgot about it again. I forgot about it again. And, I, and I'm, I'm not just, uh, just, uh, just I'm, I'm bringing this up for a reason. Because I think a lot of people forget what they're really good at or don't, it's right in front of their faces and they don't see it, you know? So I kept burying it. And so I went on to get my dissertation and uh, I became a professor and, um, students would come up to me and ask me for advice about what they should do with their lives. I was a pretty popular professor. I was doing really well. I enjoyed it to a point, except for I felt like something was missing, you know, from my life. I always felt like something was a little off. 
And uh, I started telling my students, well, you know, just follow your heart. You know, if you know, just that it's not what the other professors were saying to them. It was not uh, what their parents were saying to them, but it was what I told them you know, when they were trying to figure out, you know, where should I go to graduate school or what should I focus on in my life. That was my advice. And pretty much one day I just looked at myself in the mirror and said, well, what about you? Like, when are you going to follow your own advice? Because deep down inside I wanted to be a rock star. And you asked me what, how did my, you know, family react to that? I mean, my mother thought I was absolutely insane. I mean, just, I was absolutely crazy, right? I have a PhD in psychology from Princeton. I worked so hard for that. I was good at it, too. And here I am wanting to be a rock star. So that's my long answer to your first question. <laughs> that's, that's how everybody in my life felt about me trying to write. You know, and I waited years and years and years because I knew they were all going to react that way. I knew they would. You yeah. know, you know, I said, no, they're all going to think I'm crazy. And I, and I decided I'm going to do it anyway. And I actually hadn't been writing for some time before I even admitted to anybody I was doing it. Because yeah. I, 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 knew, I knew they wouldn't be supportive. That's not the story they tell now, 32, years, you know, 32 books later. But that, yeah. they, they all thought I lost my mind. And you know, the funny thing until their friends thought it was a cool idea, they were not supportive. Yep. You know. I, I got the same thing. Uh, my best friend at Princeton, because um, I started playing the guitar, you know, once I, uh, while I was still there, once I figured out, hey, I've got a knack for music here. In the very little time I had to myself, I started, you know, playing the guitar and singing a little bit. So I was already kind of getting into it on the side. And, and my best friend there said, oh, don't go into music. You know, and you know, you know, don't do that. You know, and and then of course, when you become a professor of psychology, nobody's expecting you to go into music, but it's not expected. So I would teach during the day, but you know what? I played music at night and on the weekends. So I did it on the side, kind of like I kind of like. Uh, this is where I like to bring in superheroes, you know, like if you think about Superman, Clark Kent, you know, most of the time he was Clark Kent working for the Daily Planet, but he was getting information about where, you know, where he, his help was needed as Superman uh, from, the, from the leads he would get, and then he would go out and be Superman on the side saving the world. So I think a lot of times people take that path where everybody's telling them they're a little crazy, so they kind of ease into it, which is what I, I did. It sounds like you did too. Yep. Well, and you know, I, I've told people for years without really thinking about it, I'm really good at things I don't enjoy. Yes. And and I made a living at things I didn't enjoy as much, but I was good at it and it made money. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. But that was just my answer to things to people. Yeah. Yeah. I finally looked at that one day and went, wait a minute. You know, so, yeah. you know, and until I branched out on my own with my own business and started actually pursuing things I enjoyed, like I said, that was my comeback to people. You know, yeah. I, I was pursuing jobs, doing things I knew I was good at, and they paid the bills, you know, so. Yeah. That's kind of in my head while you were talking. Well, yeah, and be, being a professor paid the bills, you know, um, mm -hmm. and being dabbling in music did not at first, but, you know, you just keep with it and you never know what's going to happen when you follow your heart. I, I always give people that advice now. It's, it's, it's my go-to phrase, follow your heart. 
not always the easiest way to do things, but it's much more enjoyable. Yeah, <laughs> so. that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And sometimes you can do it as a as a hobby too, and that matters. I'm I'm a big proponent of. Uh, uh, doing what you love at some point in some way in your life, and if you're not doing it as your main profession, please be doing it as your hobby or your side project, you know, because it makes your life so much more fulfilling. And I think it's how you collect, you connect to your life force when you're when you're doing what you love and you're using some of your inborn gifts, which I like to call superpowers. And everybody has at least one. Well, you know, that's how I started my writing because I was I was working really long hours. And I was writing weekends, you know, mm -hmm. and that way I kind of, well, and I made sure I could do it because I, I wasn't sure, you know, exactly. I wasn't sure I would get for it, but I started doing it. And I've had a lot of people tell me, well, I would love to write, but I don't have time. That's the big thing I've always heard. Uh, and I'm like, well, okay, if, if you want it bad enough, it's amazing the time you can make. And the thing is, you don't, you don't have to put 40 hours a week into it. Just find some time to start pursuing it is what I tell people. What do you do? I agree with you wholeheartedly. Yes, I, I, I actually, when people take my workshops, I try to get them to work on some kind of creativity project for an hour a week. And when they say uh, that they don't have time for it, um, I ask them to think about how much uh, they watch television, um, how much time they spend surfing the internet, and um, and also one thing that a lot of people don't realize is if you spend say an hour a day or even an hour every other day doing that passion project or trying to figure out what your passion project is, it actually gives you energy um, to come back to the rest of your life with. So it's actually uh, the opposite of a waste of your time. Right. Yeah. And yes, I completely agree. Yeah. I, th I thought you'd probably with that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I am with as one with you on that one. I'd love to do it, but I don't have time. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you do. Yeah, <laughs> you do. <laughs> There's a lot of invisible time sucks people aren't aware of that they have in their lives. And then, and then I'm like, okay. I, I'm I'm not making this up. I was working sixty to eighty hours a week, and I found time. And their mouth drops open, and, and I'm like, okay, you're you're going to start eating flies. Close your mouth. <laughs> you know? Well, you know, there's actually uh, research from uh, San Francisco State University that shows that people who have a creativity project uh, on the side or some kind of hobby uh, are actually perform better at work. Um, they get better evaluations from customers, from their bosses. Um, they're better problem solvers. They help their uh, colleagues more. So actually, there's research that shows spending some, you know, even if it's like 20 hours that you add on to your life, it actually, if if you choose to do that as a side project, it actually makes you do better at, at your job, not less. Uh, Is that interesting? Is I like that. Yeah, counterintuitive, but maybe not. <laughs> not to me, it's not. It makes total sense because you're you're sharpening the saw in other areas of your life, and you're you're energizing yourself. You're giving yourself a break, and you come back and you're recharged and ready to go. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did sleep a reasonable number of hours a night, just in case anybody thinks. Yeah, sleep is important. <laughs> that shouldn't be one of the things you trade in for. Uh, yeah, the body needs rest. Yeah. So, what, what is this about you having a CD and a hit in South Africa? 
Oh, well, um, after I realized that I really wanted to go into music full time, um, well, I, I stayed in, I, I, so I straddled the two worlds for a while there. So professor by day, uh, musician by night. But after a while, I realized I really, you know, I wanted to go for it. I had a lot of songs picked up by publishers in Nashville and in LA and by record labels, but then nobody was really doing anything with them. And around that time, I had, I was, uh, had married a South African and he suggested, you know, how about you just put some of these songs that everybody's picking up on a CD, let's take it over to my country and see what happens with it, you know, instead of waiting for okay. everybody to get back to you, which was a brilliant idea. So that's exactly what I did. I put some of the best tunes on one CD, took it over there, um, and I got signed to Polygram Records uh, almost right away, which was yay, you know, <laughs> wow. Uh, it can, really can happen if you, you just have to think outside of the box. Uh, but it was an interesting time. This was many, many years ago. So we arrived um, a couple of days before, um, I don't know if you've heard of a man, his name is Chris Honey. He was um, being groomed by Nelson Mandela at the time to run for president. Um, and he was assassinated after we got there. And, um, and there were all of these, um, you know, uh, be careful, don't go outside. He was a Zulu, and, and they were worried about Zulu riots and such. And so we had to stay inside. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm not in Kansas anymore. This is a completely different world, you know. And so I just happened to be there getting my music out on the radio at the same time that Nelson Mandela was figuring out that he was going to run for president for the first time. And I was there while he got elected. But it was an up and down uh, time for the nation, for for the uh, for me, um, and so here I am, you know, talking about leaving academics to be uh, a musician on the radio, and I'm there, and I'm watching their country uh, transform, you know, in a, in about a year's time. It was absolutely fascinating, and uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting is uh, they played. 12 songs out of 15 on the radio there and um, I had a top 10 hit while I was there but the song that people knew the words to when I would tour around the country was a song I wrote called Hero um, and I didn't even know about the hero's journey or any of that but I think that in a way I was on the hero's journey the country was on the hero's journey you know looking back Nelson Mandela was certainly stepping up to be a hero um, and so it just it just clicked. It was a it was right. It was almost like the perfect time for me to be there. That would have been a fascinating time to be there and see what was going on. It was you know wow. it was it was scary sometimes. It really was. Um, there were it was uh, up and down. There were a lot of different people that were running for office at the same time. I think if I remember correctly. There were 12 different people, and very different from the United States. Um, and you could feel like every day when I woke up in the morning, I really wasn't sure where's the country, you know, where's the country at today? Is it uh, feel leaning towards safer, a little bit more, you know, uh, dangerous? What's happening? And there were some drive-by shootings, and uh, there were things that were happening that were upsetting. But at the same time. Uh, there was a real buzz in the air that, that change was possible and I love that idea of possibility because that's, you know, hope lives in possibility and, uh, and I saw people stockpiling canned goods right before uh, the election and I actually, my husband at the time, we're, we're not married anymore, but at the time he actually sent me home back to California the day of the elections because he was afraid that they were going to have civil war and he didn't want me to be a part, you know, have to deal with that. And it was peaceful. 
and then I came back. Um, I'm really sorry I missed the actual day it happened, but it you know this, it was just filled of uh, with change and ups and downs, and um, I honestly it was one of the <laughs> best times of my life being there. Not just right. because my music took off, but because of what a fantastic role model Nelson Mandela was um, in forgiving. You know, one of the first things he did was to forgive a lot of people and let a lot of people out of jail. And just he was really moving forward through um, his a mission of forgiveness, and it really spoke to me, and uh, it, it changed my life. That's fascinating. Yeah, and I, I read some of what was going on then, and, and then seeing a couple of the. the kind of biographies that, that have been done film-wise about him, but, I mean, you never know how much is truthful in those. But yeah, that's, that's yeah. And I can see how, how Hero would resonate with them at that time. Yes, absolutely. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. All right, so what, and this next question really resonates with me, what do you think stands in the way of people being able to gain, well, first of all, to find actually use the power, their own power. I think we all have this power inside ourselves, but for various reasons we haven't tapped into it. So what do you think stands in our way? I think there's a few things. I've thought about this a lot. I, I teach it in my workshops and I, I have it in my in my book. Um, I've thought about it a lot. So I think one of, uh, we lose our, our true power comes from being who we are, connecting with who we are, and we, we lose a connection with who we truly are um, as we grow up. And I think the first place it happens is in uh, our families, and it's not that families are doing something negative here, um, but, uh, but a lot of families, and I've done it with my cats, we talked about our cats before, I don't have children, <laughs> but I've done it with my cats, um, you tend to divvy out roles to, to children in a family, um, and sometimes uh, oftentimes a role that you take on uh, early in life doesn't really suit who you are and it can start taking you um, off off the path of why you're here and, and what you're able to do. And I can give an example of that, but I'll just tell you a couple more first uh, and then we can get back to that if you want. Um, another place I find that people lose their power or their sense of true self is in school. Um, you know, I've been a professor. Um, I was a straight-A student at Princeton. I've been on both sides of the desk and I can tell you that it really is true that um, somebody who, um, you know, if, if you're, uh, if you write exactly what the professor or the teacher wants you to write in your essay, you are going to get an A, you know, if you spit back what they teach you. If you try to do something creative with it, you you risk, you might get an A, but you risk getting anything, you know, from an A to an F. And so you start to get an unconscious message there, you know, don't, don't, be too much yourself, <laughs> you know. Do what I do what I've taught you, and then I think also it's in the uh, society that we live in, the the groups that we're members of, and the culture that we're a part of has certain values. And if your um, your unique gifts or talents, um, you know, line up with those values, that's great. But if they don't, um, you can often uh, find yourself suppressing something that's really wonderful about you because it doesn't fit, you don't fit in. And I know around, I think it's around fourth grade, uh, they notice that uh, creativity starts to take a nosedive. And I think part of the reason why is that's when it really starts to hit kids to try to fit in, to be like everybody else. And a lot of times you find your true power by standing, by risking standing out and being being you, who you are, if that makes sense. Um, totally. 
Yeah, and so I'll just tell you a quick story because I, I think this is inter- it was interesting to me. I noticed it actually when I was um, in uh, middle school. Um, so I was a budding psychologist. Clearly, I did not have a PhD yet, but um, I noticed um, because I'm a, I, what I tell people now that I've taught workshops for years is uh, t- over 20 years now is that everybody has a unique superpower or a unique gift, right? Um, even twins are different from each other. But I noticed when um, I was in middle school, there were these two twins. I'm just going to give you an example of how family roles can can eclipse who, you know, what your true power is. And I noticed that there were these two uh, girls in my class, Deanie and Debbie, um, and twins, right? And Debbie, beautiful, you know, blonde hair, athletic. Um, Debbie was uh, held herself with a lot of confidence and um, just seemed to know who she was. She was very sure of herself. And Deanie looked just like her, except for she kind of cowered and she acted a little bit like a ditz. And I was very fascinated by this because they were twins, you know. And so I noticed one day uh, the teacher was handing out um, uh, exams and I was kind of curious to see what these two gals got on their exams. And Debbie got a 97, which was not surprising, uh, but Deanie got a 93. And I got a 92. I still remember these numbers. <laughs> so they really made an impact on me because I'm pretty darn smart. And Deanie did better than I did. And that's when I first started to get it. In their family, Debbie was the smart one, which left Deanie to be the dumb one. And you may think that that's like an over-exaggeration, but actually people carry roles like this into their lives and it cuts their power. So for example, if you think about Deanie, Deanie really was smart and she's smarter than a lot of people. But I, I didn't keep touch with her, but I, I've had workshop students who have had similar issues where I can imagine that she would not tap into her intellect just because she was the dumb one in the family. Does that make sense, what I'm saying there? Right. Yeah. So I later, when I'm teaching workshops, I had a, um, a journalist, uh, Bill, who um, he was an award-winning journalist, and um, he wanted to write fiction. And he just couldn't seem to do it. And he, we, we were working together for, gosh, three different sets of workshops, about eight weeks long. And it was in the middle of that third set of workshops when I started talking about family roles. And he said, oh, my God, that's it. My brother is the artist in the family. And therefore, that left Bill to be the non-artist. And he was struggling to be his own artist. And I see this happen all the time. My sisters are the pretty ones, therefore I'm not pretty, or my sisters are the smart ones, so I'm not smart, this sort of thing. And so people don't go on to tap into this true power that they have because they're eclipsed by um, siblings or sometimes parents. Um, and so they're not allowed to shine as much or they, you know, they don't think that they can. But the truth is that they also are smart or they also are pretty or they also have uh, a talent, but it's, it comes out in a different way. And once uh, Bill started realizing that, and I told him to make a sign, I am a writer, and put it on his laptop every day, and he started writing fiction, and he's never stopped since. He takes photography, he puts uh, photographs in his book. So one of the places we immediately, I think, start losing our powers by taking on these roles um, that we don't know that we are bringing into our adult lives with us. And once I help people start to see those roles and challenge those roles, then they start tapping into their power. Interesting. I like that a lot. I, I wanted to bring up and, and let me know if this is of interest to you, but I think sometimes 
um, part of I, I do believe that we're born with these gifts and and then uh, as we've been saying you know sometimes we lose track and we don't have all the puzzle pieces but I think sometimes part of the the problem is is that people feel um, ashamed or they've been shamed or um, they feel weird about being so different from other people and that's part of that cultural expectation that you know there's certain values that a culture has in your you're not really supposed to be different from those values. I'll, I'll give you a, a story I think you might find this interesting um, uh, a young woman I was working with who uh, was not making a breakthrough in my workshops for the longest time. She was very, very quiet. You know, other people were making them, and she was not. And I remember thinking to myself that she looked, she dressed like she was about eight years old. She had a big dress that came, you know, looked like it was two sizes too big. And she had knee socks um, pulled up to her knees, um, and she had bangs that hit her eyes. And I, I, she would not speak up in class for the longest time. And then uh, I realized, uh, you know, I'm just going to give her some space. I'm not going to push push her. Uh, when she's ready, she's ready. And one day, sure enough, she raised her hand and said, uh, hey, Dr. Chapel, I have a I have a question for you. And I said, Okay, yeah, Anne, what what is that? You know, I was thrilled that she was finally talking. And she said, Well, I um, I watch Beauty and the Beast over and over again, and I collect. Um, uh, dolls and stuffed animals. Uh, do you think there's something wrong with me? Now this woman was in her early 20s and she was a secretary um, and everybody I just turned their collective gaze to me because I think they were really wanting to know what I was going to say because she was different, you know. And, uh, and I looked at her and I saw this integrity in her um, I mean, she always looked the same. She always dressed the same way. She had a really good energy about her. And I said, no, I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with you. Why do you say that? And she said, well, my boyfriend made me give all my stuffed animals and dolls away. And you could hear everybody in the class just going, oh, like everybody knew there was something wrong with him doing that, you know? And I said to her, well, you know, I think the only thing wrong with your life uh, is maybe your choice in boyfriends. And she said, well, I agree with you, and I left him yesterday. And, uh, and I watched this young woman blossom. Um, and I love her story because uh, in the few weeks' time we had left, uh, she started to just talk all the time. And the last day of class, she raises her hand. She goes, I know what I want to be when I grow up. And we're all waiting. You know, what is it? And she said, I want to be a kindergarten teacher. And it was just so perfect for who she was. And then a few days later, I saw her walking down the sidewalk uh, hand in hand. I noticed she was hand in hand with somebody. I thought, oh my, how did this happen? And I looked up, and it was another person who was in the class who had watched her make this transfer. <laughs> that cold? Because I know you do love. And you know, so I wanted to tell you this story because when she became true to herself, she, she found her true vocation and she found true love. And they have been married, uh, gosh, I think for 20 years now. Because uh, she was one of the first people I had and I've been doing this for over 20 years. They got married um, and she is still a kindergarten teacher. Now, isn't that beautiful? But you, you know what I mean? But you can see her hesitation, which I think a lot of us feel, maybe the reason why we don't do the digging and the piece of P putting the piece, pieces of the puzzle together is because of this shame that we might feel or we just feel weird being so different but that's where the beauty and the juice is um, and so I think part of 
the work that I do is, uh, and that's what the superpowers are, is helping people feel comfortable with being different. Well, in my one of the big things with this show from the beginning has been finding and being true and loving yourself. It's yes. got to start with loving yourself. You know, it's, and, it, and it all starts within ourselves. And my, my big thing is I hate the idea of finding a person to complete you. That, that whole mentality drives me nuts. Mm. You know, find completion and the love in yourself and then find a person that compliments you. Yes. That's yes. what you do. That's how it needs to work. Love yourself, complete yourself, and then find a person that compliments you. Yes. Then you that's the magic formula, formula as far as I'm concerned. I you believe know. you. I, I agree with you. And I think also that's how you find your superpowers is by loving yourself and, and saying, well, this weird thing about me. I mean, it was honestly to sing at Princeton was weird. I felt a lot of pressure not to do it. I did, but I did it anyway. And I was made a little fun of uh, for singing, um, but I it was in my soul. It was in my heart. And, uh, you know, I did it anyway. And later uh, now, you know, I still am a psychologist. I still, I put psychology in my songs. You know, um, that weird thing that you do, <laughs> <laughs> that you love is important and um, and uh, I, I think it's part of loving yourself is to give yourself permission to follow your 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 bliss yes exactly yeah that's well and and ready for love that the whole name of the show is getting yourself ready for love a loving healthy relationship hmm. and so that's, that's what it is yeah, power is a part of that. See, yeah, you so yeah. well. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> and, and story, and what you're talking about, and all of that. That actually, you and Susan would be really cool as guests for a show about all of that. Because her her book that I'm working on with her is called mm -hmm. Am I So Anne's story fits into that perfectly. Oh my so, gosh. Well, you know, I think a lot of the people that I've worked with would have worked against, you know, feeling like they're not normal. Um, and yeah. it's, that's just an example, but she's just such a good one, especially for your show. Um, yeah. But I think that is a, that's a common thing I see with people not really seeing. Because I, I, I keep saying that people are born with the, the, the superpower and uh, it's already there. It's already there. And what I found, my work is just helping them see it, find it, accept it, you know, grow it. Yeah, and it's all, it is about uh, what is normal anyway, you know. I mean, I think being like everybody else uh, is, uh, is not good for creativity because a lot of times uh, creativity, you know, being creative is having your unique slant on things. I mean, there's a million writers out there, uh, but if you're true to yourself and you write about what, you know, brings what is curious to you and what you're passionate about, and use your own story and your own spin on it. You're going to stand out from others, and that's the whole. I think that's why we're here is to find that thing that makes us different and and make it an integral part of our lives and and be proud of it and enjoy it. Yes, most definitely. <laughs> so I think the next follow-up question that would have to be mm. how. How do you help and how, how can we both help people to gain confidence and courage 
to use the power and to change their lives because that's that's what I want to do. That's what I try to do with my coaching, with my books, with my Live Yourself program, and with the radio show. Yeah, I um, I have noticed that when I start talking about you know finding your unique gifts and then starting to use them to change your lives, a lot of times people in my workshops start to uh, get upset at the thought of, well, you know, my husband will leave me if I do that, or um, I might, you know, I can't give up my day job. I, you know, they start to freak out at the thought of changing their lives. So what I do is um, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, I give them permission to do it very, very small steps, like I did. You know, I didn't just go from being a professor to being a rock star. Actually, I did it in a lot of, you know, small steps, small stages, and I made the switch after, honestly, I had had a lot of people give me good feedback about my songs, and I just wasn't going anywhere, and then, then I took a risk to move to South Africa, you know what I mean? But I built up, so I, that's what I do with um, my workshop participants as well, and I'll, I'll tell you a little story and, and just see what you think about this. Um, what I do with people uh, is I ask them to engage in a thought experiment so that all the pressure is off. So I had a man take a weekend, uh, it was uh, two weekends, two Saturdays in a row workshop, and the first Saturday he came, he's a, a dignified attorney, happily married, he had uh, two kids in high school, one was about to go to college, um, he, he was the bread earner, um, but he felt a little empty, kind of like I did when I was at Princeton, a little off, you know. And so he just came because he was curious about what that was all about. And so, um, but he didn't know what he should do about it. And so I said, well, how about if we do a thought experiment? And, you know, there's a lot of pressure on you right now because one of your kids is about to go to college. You're the only bread earner. Um, so why don't you just forget about the fact that you have kids, forget about the fact that you have a wife, forget about the fact that you're an attorney, and just see what pops up into your mind, what would you like to do, you know, and his eyebrow kind of went up and he goes, uh, but I have a wife and I said, oh yeah, I don't mean for you to act on this, I just mean for you to just sort of plant that seed in your head, what would you do if you didn't have any of those pressures, you know, and he said, all right, I'll, I'll think about it. So we met in Santa Cruz, California and he uh, then drove I know this story because he told, us, told it to us in the following week, um, he was driving back through the fields of Salinas on his way to Monterey and he said he found himself pulling his car over to the side, jumping out of the car and putting his hands up um, and kind of looking at the fields and at farmhouses as the sun set um, like he wanted to take a picture, like he wanted to photograph it. And so he said, what, what was that, you know? And I said, well, I think that was, you know, your true bliss or your, one of your superpowers making itself known to you. So did you used to take photographs or did you used to draw? And he said, actually, I used to take photographs. And so what I said to Dan was, well, why don't you just, why don't you just explore this? You know, you don't have to change your life, just explore it. So he kept being an attorney, but he would take, photographs uh, during the lunch breaks or uh, on the weekends or at night if the sun was still up. Um, and after about a year uh, of, of taking many, many photographs, he was asked to show a couple of his pieces um, in an art show down in Monterey. And he invited me to come down and uh, support him, which I was so happy to do. And so I, I came down there. Um, his wife was there. His two kids were there supporting him. He had two pieces on the wall, and I thought he looked every bit as good as the professionals there, and he sold one of those pieces that night. 
And so what I love to use him as an example of somebody who's changing his life step by step because what he did is he turned his love for photography into a hobby that he did with great passion. He would come back to his job um, replenished so he was less burned out about being an attorney. He did not have to leave being an attorney behind to follow his heart, you know what I mean? But, but he also was collecting a lot of work that he could show in his portfolio later at a later time when it might have been a better time for him to transition out of uh, law you know, maybe after his kids had been in, um, in, in school and he had paid for that. Um, so you can do it step by step. And when I tell people this story and uh, the idea of thought experiments, they relax and they let themselves just start thinking about what it might be that really makes them happy, what really uh, they have passion for, what they may have done as a child, what they're endlessly curious about. You know, I, it just gives them the ability to relax and not feel all that pressure to change their lives right away. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and I, I didn't do all this overnight. Oh, my goodness, no. <laughs> Absolutely. But that's what freaks people out, and so they won't do it at all because they think, I can't change, so I'm not, I'm not even going to take that first step. Right. But then like, like that research I told you at San Francisco State University, I mean, if you do something creative on the side or you find that thing that you love, it could be running. It doesn't have to be art. It can be uh, running because you're going to do it. You're playing hockey. I have a friend who plays hockey, but he does it his way. You know, you find your own rhythm, your own method for things. You, you come more alive, and then it just sort of spreads out to the rest of, of your world. Yes, it does. Yeah. Well, I encourage people you know, at, least, at least take the first small step. Exactly. You know, do it for yourself. Don't do it for somebody else. Do it for you. And, and I tell them, too, I said, you know, if, if you're listening to a show and the time isn't right for you, I mean, I, I want you to take the first step, but, I, you know, it may not be the right time for you. But if it's not, the archive of the show is on the website. Come back and listen to it again when the time is right for you. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, and it's, it's kind of like that you know, a ship turns slightly just a little bit to the right, you know, it starts to put you on a different, on a different path anyway. Um, and it's more um, natural. It's more natural to do it that way. And I was, uh, I mean, I, I did music on the side for years before I stopped being a professor. I didn't just hop on over, you know, and uh, I, I needed, I needed to get better. I needed to, I knew, I learned that one of my superpowers was to sing and to, to write songs, but that doesn't mean that, um, it, you know, I, I could, I, I needed to get better. I needed to learn the craft and uh, get feedback and that sort of thing. So it's a journey and it's a, and it can be a wonderful, lovely journey too. If you realize you're just, you're just sort of carving out a path to come into your own and just enjoy the process. Right. Yeah. That's it. Well, craft you know give give yourself the benefit of learning the craft because you know that way you're doing it right yeah what what are some hints or some clues for the listeners about what a person's superpower might be what if they're saying okay this this sounds interesting but what the heck is a superpower what what could it be in my life yeah okay for well first of all let me just say that um, a superpower um, it can be um, you are very good at coding or you're very good at writing. It can also be something like uh, you walk into a room and everybody gets calm. You know, it could be it's something that um, comes naturally to you. 
often it's so natural to you that you don't even notice it. Like I didn't, it was very natural for me to sing, for example, but I didn't notice it until I was forced by that music perception test to compare myself to others and suddenly I, I realized, oh, I'm actually quite good at music. I didn't know that. So it's something that comes naturally to you and sometimes the way you find it is by just checking out. Do your friends do it too? Do they do it the same way? Um, another hint or clue is it something that um, fills you with curiosity, something that you're passionate about. Um, like uh, uh, I was talking about, the, Pamela was very passionate about writing. Um, here's a very, very uh, top clue about what your superpower might be. When you do it, time tends to disappear. Um, it, I, I had one person I was working with who thought writing would be her superpower because her father was a writer. But when I told her after many fits and starts and her being very unhappy trying to be a writer to try anything else, she tried a number of things. She tried a number of things, you know, and and what made time disappear for her was painting, um, which she sort of stumbled into. She took walks and um, and one day uh, an idea hit her. Oh, why don't I try sketching something? And she'd never done that before. When she sat down and started to do it, time disappeared. So that I, I would say that is one of your biggest biggest clues. Often it's something that you already did as a child. You might not have. I mean, in her case, she didn't. But um, sometimes it's something you've done as a child or you love to do as a child. Sometimes it's something that people ask you for advice about that you may not think you're very good at, uh, or you're, you know. But you notice what people ask you for advice about because that means your friends and acquaintances and coworkers think of you as an expert in this when you may not. So, um, for example, I had one woman I was working with, she thought she was just a measly housewife, um, not good at anything, and when we were talking to each other, I was uh, coaching her, I, I noticed that she was dressed to kill. I mean, she just was beautifully dressed. And I said to her, you know, um, this may sound kind of strange, but uh, you really have an eye for style. Have you ever thought that that might be you know, your superpower, something that you're really good at. And it took a, a bit of work for her to get over the measly housewife. And her husband made a little bit of fun of her for, you know, caring about dressing. But I actually ended up having her, we did a kind of a coaching trade where she helped me figure out what I would uh, look like on the first album cover that I ever had because I had a terrible sense of fashion and we got a good laugh out of it. I mean, compared to her, I had a terrible sense of fashion. So I asked her for advice about how I should dress um, and she gave me some great advice and I, 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 she found clothes for me and I, I, used her, I used her advice. And once she saw that I really thought her advice was important, she uh, started to take it seriously and she ended up becoming a buyer for a children's store. So, um, it, uh, so it's people, things that people ask you for advice about. Um, it's also something that you know you would do it even if you didn't, weren't paid for it. So at the beginning, I didn't need to be paid to be a singer. I just loved singing. So I would say those are some of the big clues. Natural, what was natural? What, what are you curious about? What makes time disappear? What do friends ask you advice uh, about? What did you love to do as a child or even a young adult? What would you do if money didn't matter? And what makes you different from others. Um, often your superpower is that thing that makes you unique that you might be ashamed of, like um, Anne was about, uh, you know, liking uh, children's things so much. But her superpower was being able to see the world through a child's eyes. So what makes you different? That would be another big one. Okay. Now what, what if some, I'm, I'm not meaning this sarcastic, but what if yeah. somebody said, well, Time just disappears when I play video games and watch TV, so maybe that's what I meant. 
<laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yeah, well, it's a different kind of time disappearing, though, because, uh, yes, that's a really good question. When time disappears when you're using your superpower, you actually feel more alive and more engaged and have more energy afterwards. I don't know about you, but um, when I watch a lot of television, TV, being a passive, kind of a passive recipient of television, I actually feel, and actually there's research that shows it depletes your energy. Um, playing video games, I'm not going to discount that because um, it, what are you doing as a video game? You know, are you are you driving race cars? Are you? Um, there might be a hint or clue there. So I, I'm actually not going to throw that one away. Um, uh, it, uh, that might it might be. Uh, but television, watching television, nope, mm -mm, new. That's not <laughs> that's that's not being an active uh, participant in your own life. So it's something that you're doing actively, and it's also something that you find yourself. If you put time into it, you get better at it, um, you, uh, and then you have to make it more challenging for yourself. So I'm going to put the video games on the side and say maybe it could be a clue to what your superpower is. <laughs> I, I just had to. I couldn't, couldn't let that no, slide. I think, I think that's a very good question, and, and uh, it's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> I've even had people say, well, time disappears when I write checks to you know, pay my bills. And I said, really? <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> not for me, but um, I, 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 it's got to be something that, um, you know, some kind of uh, gift or that you're expressing or something that you're doing that uh, you bring something to the table uh, when you're doing it. I, I feel happy to send them some more if they want more time to pass. Yeah. <laughs> right, yes, yes. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. pass for me pay bills. What what do you think is the most important takeaway from people? Well, I think the, there's two things actually. One is you do have a unique gift. You you have something that makes you different from others, and it is really worth your while to experiment with it and find out what it is. Try different things and 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 find out what really you know just really makes you come alive. Um, but also you know there's a lot of people who do connect with their power. Um, once they do figure out how to get on this journey. But I think another important takeaway is use it for good. <laughs> you know, because uh, use it to help make the world a better place if you can. Because, you know, as soon as I, I, I realize that teaching actually for me is a superpower too. Um, and so I shouldn't just give it up just because I didn't want to be in academics full time, which is why I ended up teaching workshops. But when I do teach those workshops, and I use music to do it too, another superpower, I notice that. Um, uh, it's very important uh, to point out that you can use your own superpowers to help make the world a better place. You can volunteer or you can help somebody else find their superpower because um, villains have superpowers too, but they use them selfishly or for their own gain. And so for me, it's not just enough to talk about superpowers, but also being a hero in your own life and using you know, your, when you find out what you're good at, using it uh, to, to help uh, others is a uh, is really really important takeaway from all of this. Good point about the super uh, the the villains because they do have superpowers and they definitely use them for themselves. I like that. <laughs> yeah, they do. I've thought about it a lot, and it's not enough. And in my book, I don't mention it until the last chapter, but I do bring it in. It is it it is um, a choice because sometimes people can be very uh, greedy about uh, using their superpowers for self-gain. And I, I can't 
Now, unfortunately, cannot get behind that, but I can get behind using superpowers to make the world a better place. And you can make money doing that too. You don't, you know, you can you can be. Comp you know, one of the things I loved, um, I didn't mention that at the beginning, but one of the things I loved about my class, uh, my classmates at Princeton, is we were helpful to each other. We we could have been competitive but we weren't. We helped each other. We would study for tests together. We'd help each other with our weaknesses and we all did better because of it. That's the way I like to live my life and that's the way I like to um, inspire other people to live their lives. Help each other. Help each other all get better because we're all on this ride together. Right. Yeah. Well, and I, I love collaborating, you know, and yeah. I, actually, I did a show. You, you'd really enjoy it. I did a show with um, was Ray actually he's the one that does the show right before mine and because he has other musicians on his show all the time and interviews them and I have other coaches on the show and interview them all the time and so I did a show where the two of us were on here together and we're, we're a little competitive about like our stats and that kind of thing even though we're good friends and yeah. so I did a show with the two of us about collaborating with your competitors so even though he has other musicians on and he's a musician and I have other coaches on and I'm a coach we we technically are promoting our competitors, but then we also collaborate with them on things also, you know, and you can do that, and we're all helping one another when we do that. You know, I'm giving them exposure, but they're, they're promoting the show, you know, I'm promoting the show, so you can, you can promote each other and work together, and we all benefit, and the thing I love, like, love about coaching is most of the coaches I know we promote some of and coach some of the same theories and themes and ideas but we also have our own niches that we we really want to focus on because of our experiences and the things that we we excel at and have experienced personally you know yeah. so we just all have our own niches you yeah. know so yes yeah. our own our own superpowers yeah I mean just like I, I believe like um, you know, if you bringing your own superpowers together, like for me, when I teach and I sing some of my songs in class, which are about overcoming adversity and finding your own true north and that sort of thing, I know people make breakthroughs faster when I combine my superpowers, but also it's true when you combine your superpowers with other people's superpowers, you help each other. You know, and I, I, love, I love living in that world where we all go up a level. We, he, we help each other. It doesn't have to be um, bringing each other down. We can bring each other up and still succeed. We, in fact, we can succeed more that way. Exactly. Well, listeners, I hope you got lots of good powers. <laughs> good powers. <laughs> <laughs> and understand more about how to find your own superpower. I'll have a replay of the show. I'll have links to all of Michelle's social media pages, her website, her Reverb Nation page, so you can actually get a sample of more of her music. You should go to the Reverb Nation page and, and here shake it up. I like that one, too. Thank Yay. you. I enjoyed it. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you so much. I love what you bring to these interviews, and you bring your whole self to it. I really enjoyed that very much. Awesome. Well, I enjoy having you, and we'll have to find something else to talk about another time. I'd love that. <laughs> Michelle and I also recorded some additional information, about another five or six minutes. And the only place you can access that information will be on my website. If you go to www.readyfortheloveradio.com slash superpowers, you'll find that along with the archive for the show tonight. And 
listeners, and I'll be with you next time on Ready for Love Radio.